It says, in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigtan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, the entry gate, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, both men were hanged from the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. All right, so we have Mordecai. He saves the king from potential mutiny. Remember that. Tuck it back there in the memory banks because it's going to be important in upcoming messages. Then this brings us to chapter 3. It says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamdata, and advanced him and set his throne above all officials who were with him. Now, I'm not sure if this decision was a reaction to the failed mutiny or not, but either way, King decides to kind of clean house, do some reorganizing. He says, I got Haman here. I'm going to put him in charge. Verse 2. And all of the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or did not pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, said, like, why do you transgress? Why do you dismiss the king's command? And they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them. They told him, and then they, so they decided to tell Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. No pun intended. You know, because he was standing and they wanted him to bow. Get it? Because he would stand. Yeah, a little humor in there. God's funny. Or a girl, whoever wrote this. For he told them, thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. For he told them that he was a Jew. Then in verse 5, we see how he reacts. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pray homage to him, the Haman, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all of the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So one guy does not bow down, and Haman decides that all Jewish people should die. Like, overreact much? <laughs> Now, we can't be 100% sure of why uh, Haman had such a reaction. Maybe it was pride. We're going to see later in this book, if we don't see already. Haman was a very prideful dude. Maybe there's some things that happened between Haman and the Jewish people the writer doesn't include. Or maybe it was because of the history between Haman's people and the Jewish people. Uh, Haman seems to have come from, uh, the, be a descendant of the Amalekites. And for any of you Old Testament buffs, the Amalekites and the Israelites have a very long and bloody history between them. Ultimately, we can't be 100% sure. But what we can be sure is he was determined to end them. And the next verses tell us how he goes about it. So in verse 7, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, which is our March or April, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, which is lots, before Haman, day after day, they cast it month after month until the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, February or March. So what does it mean they casted lots? And basically, they threw dice. But they weren't throwing dice for gambling like we would do nowadays. In ancient times, they did it to determine God's will. So by casting lots, Haman was able to determine the date he believed that the gods approved of killing all of the Jews some 12 months later. Now I'm going on to summarize the next several verses. So he goes to the king, and here's basically what he says to the king. He goes, listen, king, there are these people that live in Persia, and they don't obey your laws, completely disrespect you. They are not worth the trouble that they are causing you. But don't worry, king, I got a solution for you, okay? I think you should make a decree 
that just says all of the Jews should be destroyed. And then everybody who destroys the Jews gets to take all of their stuff, plunder it all for themselves. And then we'll take some of that stuff and we'll put it in the, in the, in the king's bank, put it in your bank, because the bank would have been a little bit low at those times after a failed war, which we talked about last week. So you would think this would be a good time for the king to ask questions. Like, who are these people? What laws do they obey, disobey? Doesn't ask anything, right? He just says, all right, Haman, do what you want. Go for it. So Haman sends out this edict to the entire nation that says on this and this day, all Jews are allowed to be purged. Be purged from Persia. You can take their stuff. You can murder them. Go forth, bless, and multiply, and end the Jews. And this, when this was all sent out throughout the nation, it says that after all of this, the king and Haman sat down to drink and the city of Susa, which was the capital of Persia, was thrown into confusion. Like, get it. Like, out of nowhere, a whole people group is supposed to be wiped out. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this edict and how it works out and how God plays out it next week. But this week, I want to talk about what started all of this. Because really what started all of this is that one man would not bow to another. One man, all of this, because one man would not bow to another. And I wonder why he wouldn't bow. And, and I got to tell you, sometimes I'm frustrated with the writer of Esther because like, there's a lot of details they just don't include that would make it way easier. But he doesn't say why. I mean, was it Mordecai angry because he didn't get a promotion after making the king aware that he was about to get assassinated? It doesn't record that he received any kind of payment or benefit. You'd think, you know, like a little a free dinner in the palace or something would be offered. Maybe it was because Mordecai knew Haman was a Malachite and because of the hatred between those two people, you know, a little racism going on. Maybe it was because Haman was just an arrogant, horrible human being and like Mordecai's like, I'm not bowing to a dishonorable man. Forget it. Maybe it was more religious. Maybe because he, uh, Mordecai saw bowing down as an act of worship and, and God says clearly, you will not bow down to other gods. But then again, we see in the Bible other places where Jewish people bow down to officials because it was a matter of respect and not a religious thing. So in the end, we really don't know why he bowed. But it's kind of a benefit today because I think there are lessons that we can pull out for ourselves from each of these scenarios. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I say this because we are faced with the same decision Mordecai is. When we, will we or will we not show honor to people who are in authority over us? Will we or will we not show honor to people in authority over us? And this is a big topic right now because I believe, and I've talked about this several times in the last few years, that we live in a culture that is increasingly losing sight of the value that comes from honoring authority in every walk of life. From our homes, to our schools, to our workplaces, to our government, to our social media, it has been increasingly popular to only give honor to people we like or that we agree with and tear down everybody else. And I believe that it is tearing apart like a cancer from the inside our nation. Tearing apart from the inside the institutions that God has set up in our nation to benefit our nation. And many of us 
though we probably don't even sit here or stand here realizing it, play a role in that cancer. We spend time making fun of our presidents. We spend time vilifying our, our senators, our representatives. We're attacking our police. We disrespect some of our educators. We, we, we dishonor our parents, both as young kids and as adults. We're losing the sight of honoring our authority. And yet, it says in Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul is saying that authority serves a God-ordained purpose to benefit society. It does it by promoting good and restraining evil. Now, does this mean that all the people in these positions of responsibility are always good? I think that is pretty clear, not the case. It's funny because you're probably all thinking of different people. Uh, it does not mean that we've not seen oppressive government and wicked governments, but it means that without authority in this world, things would deteriorate much worse than the isolated incidents of horrible governments. As a smaller example, just because there is one house who has horrible parents that mistreat their children, does that mean society would benefit if all children no longer had to listen to their parents? No. Though if, you, if I was a kid, I would have said yes, no. As an adult, I would see no, it would be way worse. Way worse. Authority is ultimately there for our good. The authority in your life is there for your good. Whether you like it or don't like it, authority is good. And we all have authority. Every one of us. Nobody is without it. This is a message that applies to every single one of us. Because the thing is, authority can only function properly if it is respected and honored. For example, how many times have we been in a job situation where we or somebody else have talked bad about our bosses to other people? We complain about them. We gossip about them. And it feels good, doesn't it? Especially if the other person is like, oh, I know what you mean. So oppressed, right? And you're like, yes, thank you for validating me. But what we're doing in those moments not just selfishly making ourselves feel better, is we're weakening other people's confidence in our authority, in our bosses. I've watched it. I've done it. I've, I've done it. I talked about it at CompUSA. I'm not going to go to the story, but I did it there. When I had a boss, which was, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Let me, just, let me just tell you, he helped me grow in my faith. Let me tell you. <laughs> but when other people start to see that leader that you're complaining about, in a less effective way, and this momentum starts to build, you're like, yeah, see, I was right. Look, everybody else is catching on, not realizing that we were part of the problem. We were sowing those seeds. And this can work into every area of our lives. Authority can, will not work unless it is honored. 1 Peter 2.17, Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Parents, 
Some of you are raising little conspiracy theorists. Okay? Because then, because when the doors are closed in our houses, we all talk a little bit freely, don't we? And then we go hear our kids starting to mimic what we say for, for better or nine, 99% of the time, much for worse. And I meet kids, especially teenagers, and sometimes young adults, that are mimicking what their parents are saying. And all we are doing is spitting out these conspiracy to our kids, and we're teaching them not to honor our authority. Usually because we're a Republican and we don't like our Democratic leaders or vice versa. What we don't realize is we are in our own little way breaking down the institutions that God has put in place. But Peter says, you obey. I mean, you honor the emperor. Whether you like the person or not. Well, how do we do that? Especially when you don't like him. Well, first you, you do it because God called you to do it. Obedience to God does not care about your feelings. Doesn't care. When Peter says, honor the emperor, you honor the emperor. Period. And you have to understand this. If you go back and understand the type of rule that Peter and the apostles were under at that time, the oppression that they were under, the persecution that they faced far beyond what you've ever even began to touch, and you realize that, and you realize they still said honor the emperor, you realize there's really no limit to this. Now, it's easy to say that, but it's harder to do it. So I want to give you a couple of things that in every area of your life will help you, to help you honor authority, because it is so important. Because in fact, as we will see, God says you face judgment when you do not honor your authority. Now, one of the reasons that we are tempted not to honor our authority to other people on social media and the way we treat our authority is because we're always focused on the person and not the position. Okay, we talked about this in Ecclesiastes. We talked about this in our politics series. You see, the problem is that when we face, when we start to focus on the person, we face this comparison game. Would I make better decisions than my boss? And we usually always believe we would, don't we? I mean, do, when do we ever say to ourselves, you know, my boss is just so much smarter than I am. I would never have the wisdom that he, I mean, most of the time we're like, I would have did this, I would have did that, I would have did this. We play this comparison game. We, we think, man, I would be a much more emotionally mature leader People even like me more. This person does not deserve to be my leader because we're focused on the person. But according to scripture, none of that matters. None of it. You literally could be working for the biggest buffoon this side of the ocean. And God said it doesn't matter. Because you're not in that position. And when you stop looking at the person's per personality and their buffoonness, if you will, and you start focusing on the position, it becomes much more clear. Well, it's not a matter of whether I'm better this person or not. It matters if I'm in this position or not. We need to focus on the position and not the person. And this goes through us in life, because when you're all constantly focused on the person, you end up creating a bitterness over time. And then what happens is you carry that bitterness from one job to the next, from one church to the next, from you know, one political conversation to the next. And you carry this view and you're constantly judging future bosses by your past bosses and by how you felt about them and you felt about yourself. And it carries it on. 
Some of you are still carrying bitterness about previous authority that you had because you are so focused on the quality of the person and not the position that they carried. And it affects your ability to honor the authority you have in your life now. And it's an act of pride because it says, I know who should be an authority more than God. Daniel says in Daniel chapter two that he sets kings and he deposes of kings. So either by demand, by divine decree, or by God simply allowing events to play out, he has allowed whatever authority you have in your life to be there. And at the end of the day, if you're not God, you don't know the purpose that that person serves. In fact, you'll see some of the ambivalence of the king of Persia that plays right into God's hands. You don't know. You'll remember Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, when, when King David, or the future king, is being chased by King Saul, who's literally lost his loving mind. He's gone nuts, and he's hunting him. He has a chance to literally kill the king while the dude's uh, going to the bathroom. Kid you not, read about it, it's great. 1 Samuel 24. And, 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 his, and he says, that his, his buddies say to Daniel, look, this is your dude. Take the guy out. Save everybody in the kingdom. Whole lot of trouble. David says, no way. Who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? Who am I to do this to my king? In other words, God's allowed him to be there. I'm not God. It's not my job to dispose of him. That Because that's his position. We must take this view in life in trusting God. If you play sports, honor your coach. If you're a student, you honor your teachers. You honor your boss. Listen, this goes, you even go, when you go to Target, you honor the employee because they have authority there. How many times do I walk into a Target and I see somebody just berating some poor Target employee? Like as if they just, you know, caused the worst catastrophe in the world and really the person just showed up and a product wasn't there that they didn't, that they didn't want. I used to work in retail. I know what it's like. You honor them. In every area of life, you honor people in their authority. In fact, Romans 12, 12 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Now, sometimes it's a struggle to focus on the position instead of the person because of the buffoonness of your bosses or your perceived buffoonness. This is my new, I just created this word. I just made it up. I'm going to use it now. I like it. So here's something else will help. And this is something that we don't do. Bible preaches it to do it over and over again. It says the power of this makes a difference, but we don't do it. And that's praying for those in authority, praying for our leaders. I want you to think about authority in your life that you don't like right now. Think about it. Really hope no one's thinking of me right now. Picture them in your mind. How often do you pray for them? Or think of people that you were bitter with in previous positions. How often did you pray for them? And I don't mean pray for God's judgment, you know, you know, the healing of their buffoonness, but that you, that you prayed that God which revealed to the him or her who they were, that they would see who the creator of the heavens and earth, that their heart would change and be opened up to the wisdom and the things of the Lord. How often do you pray for them? What was that balance between complaining about them and praying for them? Kids, especially when you're in teenagers, at least it was for me, you can't stand a lot of what your parents say. 
It's a phase. You'll grow out of it. You'll realize they know more of what they're talking about than you realize because they made so many mistakes and they're trying to save you from them. I learned this. I realize this now as a parent. But how often do you pray for your mom and dad? How often do you pray for them? I can only imagine how the landscape of our lives would change if we spent more time praying than we did posting on social media. Not, and not only does it impact the lives of people, but it changes our hearts. I don't believe that you can pray day in and day out for somebody and not have your heart changed for them. As you pray the Lord's blessing and love over them, his wisdom and his grace. But prayer is often the last thing that we do. What if we spent every morning praying for the leaders that we were going to see that day? I wonder how our hearts would change. I wonder how God would work differently in their lives. Now, I should say, because people have asked me this recently, especially when it comes to COVID stuff, that honor does not mean total obedience. Honor does not mean total obedience. Let me say it again. Honor does not mean total obedience. Because maybe Mordecai did see this whole bowing down thing as an act of worship. Maybe he really saw it as an act of sin. And so I'm not bowing down. I'm a Jew. I'm not worshiping this dude. And this is an important question for us to also ask, because if you sit here as a Christian today, there is growing pressure on you as a Christian to either change your beliefs and accept the new norms, or you just need to disappear into society. In fact, a lot of pressure is coming to help you disappear into society. How do we respond? Well, I believe the answer is found in Acts chapter 5, when, when Peter and the apostles are being told not to preach anymore. What do they say? We must obey God rather than men. Honor does not mean total obedience. If we find that our authorities are commanding us to do things that are not in the word of God, then we must take a stand. That would have made it right for Mordecai not to bow. But, Big bucks here. When you take this stand, you better be sure you're doing it for the right reasons. You better be sure you're doing it for the right reasons. You see, far too many of us take a stand for, against our government. And we say we're just doing it for the Lord and his purposes, but really it's always about our preferences and what we don't want to do. Or it's because a, a leader that's on the other side of the aisle is the one giving the command. You've seen this a ton with the COVID restrictions. You need to realize it is a serious thing to disobey, to dishonor your authority. You better be very sure that you can tell the difference between your personal prejudices and biblical convictions. Because as I said earlier, there will be a time where this is judged. Romans 13, 2, therefore, whoever resists authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And listen, I get it that governments can be frustrating. 
As I said before, if you don't realize this, it's probably because you've never gotten the DMV before. They can be frustrating. But you have to understand as a Christian, you have a bigger goal in mind. Like in Matthew 17, there were some people that came to Jesus and his disciples and say, you all need to pay the temple tax. And Jesus said to his disciples, we don't need to pay the temple tax. So as they're putting their money back in their pockets, the little they have, he said, but you know what? Let's pay it anyway. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why? He said, so we don't bring offense. For the sake of relationship and the greater things that Jesus wanted to, comp uh, to accomplish, he said, let's pay it anyway. And where in our lives do we need to have this view where we're willing to give up some of our comfort so that we don't bring offense? Listen, as an example, when I'm done getting my vaccines for the COVID virus, will I want to wear a mask in church or around town? No, not at all. I probably hate, you know, I don't like these things as much as you don't, except for wintertime. I love them in winter. They keep your face warm. I'm totally not, I'm keeping it for that reasons. But you know what? I am going to do what our leadership asks of us. Because if me wearing a mask in here, and I know I get more of a break than you do because I'm preaching, but if me wearing a mask in here, if you wearing a mask in here makes it other people feel safer that are compromised physically to come and hear the gospel, well, I'm gonna wear the mask. I'll wear two, I'll wear three. If wearing a mask in town helps me to connect with the cashiers at ShopRite or at the bank, if it helps me to be a better town, a, a, a better citizen and connect with our officials in the towns, I'm going to do it. Because Jesus says that when you put your faith and trust in him, your life is no longer about you and your comforts. He says, if anybody would come after me, he must take up his cross Daily, he must deny himself and follow me. That means that the precepts of God, the call of Christ trumps your comfort. It trumps your political passions. And when we don't do this, especially when it's just about our own convictions and not biblical convictions, we usually only cause problems. How many social media fights have we started because we were just passionate about one thing we had to post as if it was gonna change the world. Or how many relationships we've gone sour with loved ones because we just had to say something as if it would change things. I mean, look, let's say, let's say that Mordecai didn't bow just because he was full of pride. Now, I ain't bound to this guy, he got my job, I should have got that, I'm the one. Look at the trouble he would have caused. Now, God will work through it as we will see but there is huge damage when we dishonor our authority for our own selfish reasons. On the flip side, when we do honor authority, like I was just saying with people coming into the church or in the community, it creates opportunity. Have you ever thought about that? Honor creates opportunity. Back to Daniel. In Daniel chapter two, no, chapter one, when they were brought over to Babylon, this is 70 years before Esther, Right? They were brought to Babylon because the Babylonians conquered the Israelites. They brought them in to indoctrinate them into their culture. They were told to eat certain things. Right? And, and it was stuff Daniel and his friends didn't want to eat because it was against their religious beliefs. 
And so rather than protesting, rather than like trying to burn down the castle, uh, rather the palace, rather than trying to yell and scream, what they did was they, in an honorable way, asked. They said, listen, this goes against what God has taught us. And then they're saying this to the jailer. And, they said, and, and the jailer's like, look, you've got to eat what the king gives you or else it's my neck. And they said, oh, we get that. What if for 10 days you let us eat just fruits and veggies, all right? And at the end of those 10 days, let's see who's in better shape, us or the other people. Jailer's like, all right, I can do that. After the 10 days, what happens? I mean, Daniel's looking good. He has like an eight pack down here. He's like cut, right? The other guys are not looking as good. And the jailer's like, all right, you go ahead and keep eating what you're going to eat. And so because he chose to honor his authority, even in his disobedience, even in his disagreement, he showed God's grace, he showed God's power, he showed God's might, and he built a greater relationship, as you watch, will play out throughout Daniel, which gave more and more influence. Honor creates opportunity. Take this into modern times. Man, I am so sick and tired of people yelling, not my president, when President Trump was president. I'm sick and tired of people yelling, not my president, now that President Biden is president. Look, he is your president. Whether you liked Trump or didn't, whether you like Biden or not, he is your president, okay? You don't just get to make things up. It, he's your president, whether you like him or not. Now, now, listen, I'll be straight with you. I have a laundry list of disagreements with President Biden. The right to human life being one of them. And I will fight abortion from the pulpit for the day I die. And anything else that would be brought by this administration that's against the word of God. And if I ever meet him, I will warn him of God's judgment and I will present him the gospel if able, just like I would have done to our last president. But I also am gonna shake his hand. I'm gonna call him Mr. President. And if there's any area where possibly like this would ever happen, but if there's any area where I could work together with him for the betterment of the gospel, I am going to jump at the chance to do it. Because if I spit in his face, other than getting beat down by the secret service, I have destroyed all relationship. But if I'm willing to work with him in one area that doesn't compromise my biblical convictions, I build a relationship. And that relationship might lead to more opportunities and more opportunities until one day, by God's grace, and would be a pure miracle to lead him to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And this goes for every authority in your life. Honor creates opportunity. So where in your life do you need to start honoring authority in a greater way than you are now so those opportunities might be created? And I pray the Lord's boom showing you right now. It might even be in your home with a wife needing to honor her husband. Or as we read in 1 Peter 3, 7, where husbands are called to honor their wives. Wherever it is, I pray you would see it. I pray you would ask the Lord to show you. Because there's something greater at stake. In fact, in Titus, we read, remind them, speaking to Christians, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And the entire chapter before this, he talks about how our lives are for the glory of the gospel. Paul says it, Peter says it. 
that our ability to honor our authority in our lives has gospel implication, eternal implications. If it is true that Jesus says that we are separated by God from sin and those who do not put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will spend eternity separated from him in hell, then there is too much on the line for us not to honor authority in our lives that we may have an opportunity to display his glory. Amen, church?